0: Good morning um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Drew Morgan. Um, I'm usually with these rascals right here, uh, the uh, junior high boys. We have a lot of fun. I love these guys but it's it's such an honor to get to fill in with prayer today and um, we're going to dive right into Matthew 12. Um, so first let's pray and um, and we'll get started. <clears throat> Father, we are gathering this morning to to praise and worship you. Thank you for your holiness, your mercy, and your grace. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord Almighty. Thank you for all the ways you've blessed us, um, for this fellowship of believers, for the provisions of life that we take for granted, a warm room to meet in on a cold morning. Jesus, thank you for your word and saving us so we can be transformed by your word through the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your gentle and lowly heart of love and mercy. Conform us to your likeness through the regeneration of our hearts and minds. Uh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you work among us this morning to change our hearts and minds. Give us ears to hear, minds to think, and hearts to accept. Give us a burning desire to learn truth and help us to apply it to our lives. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that if anyone here this morning is yet to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior, that this would be the day. May, may my words this morning be true and pure and glorifying to you. Thank you, Father, Son, and Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so take your copy of God's Word and find Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, that's where we're gonna pick up. When do you feel most at rest? Most comfortable, most, most at ease? Now, I'm an old history teacher, some of y'all know that. Um, so Anybody want to anybody wanna share? When do you feel most at rest? Okay, at home. Tanner, at home. Anybody else? Yeah. Okay, great answer. That's probably better than the answer I'm going to give. That's true. When you're asleep. Yeah. Okay, when you're playing instruments. I would agree with that. I played my guitar a little bit this morning, and it definitely brings some kind of comfort and ease. Um, Fishing. I agree with that. That's good. Andrew? Not doing school. You don't feel restful at school? Ah man. Um well uh I, I yeah, one more, go for it. Okay, when I pray, that's that's definitely true. When you watch sports, that's true. Kind of get to relax and be entertained and forget about everything else except either the The success or failure of your team on the field, which we won't talk about that. Okay. Uh, So yeah, if if you're like me, um, I agree with all those things. Um, For me, after dinner, cuddling on the couch with my family in my arms, warm under a blanket, in close loving communion with my family. um, You know, that's a sweet time. I've got two daughters. Um, My wife, Lori, uh, is here. Um, I'm so thankful for her. And um, my two daughters, and they love to cuddle. They're still that age. So we have sweet time and to just rest after dinner um, and, and be warm together. It helps me. It recharges me. It helps me feel like everything is okay. So, so why do we as humans crave that kind of rest? It's how God made us. We are made in his image. God desires that kind of restful communion with us as well. And and we know, and we'll talk about, you know, God rested after creation, Um, and and, and we are made in His image. Uh, Rest is a good thing, right? He's given us that. Um, And so the truth is that God's rest is way better than anything we think gives us rest here on earth. All of the things you said are are great, and they do bring rest, but it's not complete rest. It's not the kind of rest that God desires uh, for us uh, spiritually. Uh, so, the wonderful truth is this, and this is the, this is the title of, of today, uh, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus, Lord of the Sabbath. So, in this chapter of Matthew, it's no coincidence that this text comes right after Jesus explained that his heart is gentle and lowly, and that he gives rest. And Aaron did a great job of explaining that last week. Um, so, uh, and, and many of you have read this book, uh, Gentle and Lowly, by Dane Ortlund, um, and Rachel told me that indeed we have even more copies now. If you haven't got this book yet, uh, you can get it today, uh, and I'm going to be using this book a little bit too. Um, so very quickly, let's go back and really quick read Matthew eleven twenty-seven 27 through 30, because I think this sets up what chapter 12 says. Um, so let's read Matthew 11, starting at uh, verse 27. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The truth is, this is one of the most remarkable texts in all of Scripture. Um, Christ is explaining His relationship with the Father, His own heart, and His longing to draw us into that relationship. God the Father has committed all... So in this text, we learn God the Father has committed all things to Christ. And Christ is offering to reveal Himself and all the things to those who are weary and burdened and he will give you rest. Jesus is Lord of rest. He is Lord of the Sabbath. So before we move on, uh, let's do a short word study. Uh, these guys are going to laugh because I, I tend to do this a lot, but I think thinking about the meaning of words is really important to understand not you know any text, but especially scripture. So uh, what does the word Sabbath mean? Rest, okay. Uh, yes, all right, so yeah, so two main ways we use Sabbath. One, there is the Sabbath, right? Uh, we are commanded to, keep, to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It is a great commandment. Um, John Piper said this about the Sabbath. Uh, the beautiful thing about the Sabbath is that God instituted it as a weekly reminder of two things. One is that all true blessing comes from His grace, not our labor. All true blessing comes from His grace, not our labor. The other is that we hallow Him and honor Him and keep the day holy if we seek the fullness of His blessing by giving our special attention to Him on that day. One day of rest every seven, kept holy to the Lord, reminds us and shows the world that God is our creator and deliverer. We did not make ourselves. We cannot sustain or save ourselves without His grace. Be still and know that he is God. That is what the Sabbath means for us. But also it means rest, right? The word Sabbath uh, comes from sabbat. It, it means rest. It's important to note that God wants us to rest, not just physically, uh, which sometimes we, we think of the Sabbath as a, fi- as a physical day of rest, and that is important. Um, but what we're going to talk about today is that God wants us to spiritually rest in him and in his goodness. Um, so uh, it's the rest, it's this rest that Christ mentions in chapter 11. Um, he will give rest, he will give Sabbath. All right, so let's turn our attention to Matthew tra- chapter 12 now. Um, so, with basic understanding of Sabbath, uh, let's see how 12 illustrates that. Um, because again, it's no coincidence that uh, this, uh, Matthew gives us this these experiences right after Jesus has just talked about his own heart. Um, and real, one more thing before we get started. Some of you, again, I said I, I taught. I, I'm going to borrow a strategy. Um, it's actually kind of a writing strategy. It's called Because But So. Um, and so uh, our points are going to kind of go uh, through that um, through that format. Uh, so uh, each point is going to be Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, and the first... Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath because he is the fulfillment of God's desire for mercy, not sacrifice. He is the fulfillment of God's desire for mercy, not sacrifice. All right, let's uh, read chapter 12. At that time, Jesus went through grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not, law for them, not, not, not lawful for them to do, but only for the priest. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day, and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill him, kill Jesus. Um, Verse 15, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him, and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. In a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. Okay, so uh, apparently Jesus and his disciples, as they were traveling, uh, got hungry, which happens, right? Um, You know, there weren't cars or things to travel, so they're walking uh, or maybe riding, but uh, we kind of assume they're walking. And imagine if you were walking around the countryside, around Israel, uh, you would probably get hungry too. And so, uh, so they decided, you know, or not decided, but as they came across a grain field, they started plucking grain to eat. Um, we first need to recognize the humility of eating this way. Uh, it was a common practice for hungry travelers to pluck some grain and, and eat the grain when it was in season. If you go back and study that culture, that's something that happened often. And it's something that, uh, people who grew the grain, you know, it was a service to the travelers and to the people, uh, for fellowship, um. The disciples were not having a grand feast and drawing attention to themselves. They were finding sustenance just as all the other travelers might. But as we've seen so far in Matthew, Jesus and his disciples are under a constant microscope. Even plucking some grain and eating out in the middle of a field caught the eye of the Pharisees. And I think that's kind of humorous as I'm thinking about this. I mean, you know, grain's not grown in town. This is in the countryside. And so, you know, like picking some grain... Even that catches the Pharisees' eye. Um, the, Pharisees accuse, the, Pharisees, the Pharisees' accusation was that Jesus' disciples violated the law of working and reaping on the Sabbath. So what does the law say? The Pharisees certainly prided themselves on knowing the law. Actually, in Deuteronomy 12.25, the law states that gathering food on the Sabbath does not break the law unless tools are used like a sickle. So we have to think that the Pharisees knew that. Again, they prided themselves on, on having complete knowledge of the law. Um, so why did they still feel like they could accuse? It's because they had added to the law. Um, a little bit more context here. Over thousands of years of the religious leaders interpreting the law and, and wanting to keep the law, um, the, the leaders had arbitrarily added uh, to God's law by setting up barriers or fences um, to potential law-breaking. So think of it this way with a modern example. Uh, if you don't ever, well, who in here, well, I want to ask that. I'm going to ask if you have a speeding ticket. Speeding tickets aren't fun, um, and, you know, it's against the law, and when you break the law, there are consequences, and it happens. So let's say uh, that you never want to get a speeding ticket, okay, from the police. Well, one way to never get a speeding ticket is just to never drive a car, right? If you never drive a car, you would never get a speeding ticket. Problem solved. But what would be the problem with that in our modern world and society today? Be hard to get anywhere, you know, um, and, you know, we're, we're set up to have a vehicle, right? That would be a burden, especially if you lived in, I mean, maybe not in a city. Some people go without a car. But if you live in most places, it, it would be a burden to try to do that. Uh, and that's exactly what the Pharisees had kind of done with the Sabbath. They had set up all of these fences, these barriers they had added to the law um, and it was a burden on the people to keep it so that even picking a grain of, um, you know, which was not against the law, picking grain, they were accusing. So we must note here again, and, and, and we, we know this because most of us have been brought up in this church and have been in the church, but, uh, you know, Revelation 22, 18 tells us that God's law is perfect as is. Anything taken away from it is wrong, but anything added to it is also wrong. And so this is what the Pharisees had done. And so this is what Jesus is going to speak to. Um, so it's in this context, Jesus again quotes Hosea 6.6. 6. Earlier in Matthew 9.13, which we did a couple of weeks ago, Jesus had told the Pharisees to go and learn what this means. Um, and he quoted Hosea 6.6, 6, that he desires mercy, not sacrifice. Did the Pharisees do their homework? No. Apparently, they did not go and read what it means, or if they had, they, they rejected it. Because uh, Jesus brings it up again. He brings it up a second time and, and uses Hosea 6-6 to attack, um, their, their, their or not attack, but expose their heart. Um, so if, if Jesus used it twice, I think we should take some time to look at that too. So uh, it's going to be on the board, Hosea 6-6, um, the part that, that uh, Christ uh, quoted. Um, I think looking at both the ESV and the NIV gives kind of a complete picture of these two verses. Uh, the Hebrew word used in Hosea six six for mercy is hesed, which means love. Uh, so the NIV version, "I desire mercy, not sacrifice," but the ESV, "I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice." So th- that's what this that's what this verse means. Um, John Piper also said about this: uh, in other words, the whole law. Lo- The whole law exists for the sake of mercy. All the law is summed up in this one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The Pharisees couldn't see the true meaning of the Sabbath because they didn't have hearts of love. Jesus in Mark uh, chapter 2.27 said that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So if your heart isn't a heart for man, if it's not a heart of love, you cannot see the meaning of the Sabbath. For the Sabbath is a gift of love to meet man's need, not an oppressive burden to make him miserable or proud. So what does this mean for us? Uh, Hosea 6.6, and Jesus' reference to it, shows us that God prioritizes a merciful, loving relationship with his people over sacrifice. And students, we need to hear that. Um, God prioritizes a merciful, loving relationship with you over sacrifice. Sacrifice is definitely needed to atone for sin, but God's ultimate desire is to have an intimate relationship with you, with His people, with His creation, characterized by love and devotion. The Pharisees had it all backwards. Had it all backwards. They were working in their own power to earn salvation, when in reality Jesus had come to set them free from the impossible burden of keeping the law. Jesus would be the ultimate sacrifice for us. Let these words sink in. God desires mercy and love, not sacrifice. He prioritizes a loving relationship characterized by mercy instead of a continual cycle of sin and sacrifice. Um, God sent Jesus to be the ultimate sacrifice, a sacrifice that ends all sacrifices so that we can have that relationship. It's critical for us to understand the heart of Christ. The sacrifice has been made. Jesus already did it. Um, Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's another, uh, another episode uh, here in Matthew in verses 9 through 14. Um, it's another demonstration of Christ as the King of mercy and Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, Let's look back at, at 9 through 14. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand so he stretched it out and was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Jesus healed this man with a word. He didn't even touch him. He just asked him to spread his hand out. Um, By the way, this is a bit of a foreshadow to what Christ is going to do on the cross, right? Uh, Jesus asked this man to spread his hand out, and it was healed. And in the same way, Uh, Christ would spread out his hands, have them pierced to heal us from our sin. Fulfilling Isaiah 53, 5, with his wounds we are healed. Uh, Douglas O'Donnell um, uh, had a commentary on this. Um, He said, verses 9 through 14 don't merely record another Sabbath controversy. This text is not primarily about Jesus' interpretation of the Sabbath. The Pharisees have it wrong, he has it right, so he corrects them, first in word, then in deed. There is more to it than that. This is a passage about Jesus as the merciful king. He is Lord of the Sabbath, and he uses that lordship to do good, to show God's mercy in healing a man's withered hand. And he shows mercy by taking the sins of the world upon his own hands and feet and side. So in this passage, we see that Jesus is fulfilling the law. He says that he is the Messiah greater than David. He said he was greater than the temple. He said he was the Lord of the Sabbath. And how do the Pharisees react to that, to all of those things? With hate and murderous hearts. It's ironic that they accuse Jesus of breaking a great commandment, uh, and then they go and break the commandment, thou shalt not murder. Finally, for this first point, Matthew links for us how Jesus fulfills the law of a gentle and lowly Savior. Verse 15 through 21 shows us this fulfillment. Um, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Uh, what is a reed? R E E D. We don't use this kind of word a lot. Think about a bruised reed, right? A, a a piece of grass, tall grass that's been bent, right? But not but not broken or maybe damaged in some way. Um, Isaiah, um, excuse me, Matthew says that that Jesus is gentle and lowly. That that you know, he, he could take that injury and not break it, but he's going to restore it. And in the same way, a, a smoldering wick, right? Think about a candle um, and think about a wick that's just been blown out and it's, it's still got a, a glowing ember, right? But it's not, it's not a flame. Um, Jesus is not here to snuff that out, but to restore that. Um, Jesus is gentle with those who come to him, wounded and weary, He wants to provide rest and comfort and joy. Um, Dane Orland said said it this way, um, and I, I think this was really good in kind of applying it to us. When we hold back, lurking in the shadows, fearful and failing, we miss out not only on our own increased comfort, but on Christ's increased comfort. He lives for this. This is what he loves to do. His joy and ours rise and fall together. So when we don't bring um, our our sin and our hurts, um, and we don't bring our weariness to Christ, not only are we missing out on the comfort that he can provide, um, we are not enabling Christ to increase his own comfort because that's what he wants to do in your life. He desires for that. So um, to wrap up um, the first point, uh, two questions for you to think about. How do you think of God? Do you see him as a critical judge who is always disappointed with your sin and demanding sacrifice? Or a loving father who wants to have a loving, caring, merciful relationship with you? Um, Do you feel that the Sabbath is a burden? Do you dread the Sabbath? Or do you delight in the Sabbath? Are you seeking peace, comfort, and rest in anything other than Jesus? I'll be honest with you. As I was preparing um, and reading some things, you know, I can think of back in times in my life where, if I'm honest, coming to church every Sunday was a burden. I saw it as, you know, I would see my friends and some things would happen, but you know, it was something I felt like I had to do. Um, praise the Lord! Um, you know, Christ, Christ has worked on my heart, um, but but we can feel that way sometimes, and even still, I struggle with that. Um, the truth is, look, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Um, and if we have a loving relationship marked by mercy uh, through Christ's sacrifice, the Sabbath is 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 glorious because he brings us comfort and rest. Okay, point number two. Um, so the first was Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath because he fulfills the law. Second point, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, but an unrepentant heart rejects him. Not only is Christ's heart on display in this chapter, but the sinful, unrepentant heart of the Pharisees is too. Um, As we read all the Gospels, it's easy to read about the Pharisees in judgment. And I can remember, especially when I was a kid, sometimes I did this, right? Um, And, you know, you kind of sit back, the Pharisees are the bad guys in the story. Uh, You know, uh, we may be in danger of reading and and, and thinking, whoa, I would never have done that to Christ. Uh, But the truth is, sin is sin. And what the Pharisees struggle with are things we all struggle with daily. Matthew 12 gives us a glimpse into a very radical confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees. Uh, Jesus is calling on a paradigm shift, um, which would rock the very foundation of Jewish culture. The Pharisees had taken God's commandment of remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy to a level that God never intended, to a level that was unloving and oppressive to God's people. Uh, The Pharisees were attending to find salvation and rest in legalistic additions to God's law. Keeping the law plus the things they had added perfectly, which is impossible, was their ultimate goal to achieve salvation. Um, This is what we call in modern terms legalism. You can think of legalism in this way. The false doctrine that we can save ourselves from sin by keeping the law perfectly. And if we're honest... um, Way too often, we're like the Pharisees in this. Legalism is a prevalent false doctrine. Due to sin, instead of trusting Christ and his salvation, we trust ourselves and try to be a good person and keep the law. Thus, we don't think we need a Savior, and we can be Lord over our own lives. The reality is, um, as we know, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's impossible for us to be perfect. Only one was perfect, Jesus. Um, this is why it's critical for us to know God's word. We're blessed with sound teaching here at Lakeview, but students, you you may not always be at Lakeview, um, and you you know probably won't be. There's going to be a time where you uh, move away and and go live somewhere else, um, and hopefully you find a church family to to be a part of. Um, but as you do that, a deep knowledge of Scripture will help you not get caught up. In these false doctrines. So think about it. Are there areas of your life where you're trusting in your own ability to keep the law for salvation? Do you think of yourself as a good person and therefore saved? Because you're a good person. Um, there's another thing to our sinful nature that we see here in Matthew chapter 12. Um, and Jesus had some terrifying warnings to those who continue, continually reject Him and the work of the Holy Spirit. So not only were the Pharisees uh, legalistic and believing in their own power to keep the law, um, they were also actively denying the work of the Holy Spirit, even through uh, witnessing all of the marvelous miracles, teaching, and conviction of the Holy Spirit that they have experienced following Christ around and, and seeing His teaching. Um, So let's pick back up at verse 22. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. They call him this fellow. I think there's... Okay, we'll get to that. Uh, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then... They will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. The good man brings up good things, the good man brings good things out of the good stored in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But, I'll tell you, but I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Okay. So, uh, you know, when I, when I first chose the state to help Aaron and in form. And then I realized Matthew chapter 12 is like, oh, it's the grieving of the Spirit chapter. Great. This will be good. <laughs> uh, no, but, but there's so much for us to learn here. Um, and so, uh, first of all, uh, healing a deaf, uh, possessed man would have been mind-blowing. right, imagine if you're there, uh, no doubt all the people knew who this person was. Um, and, um, you know, they witnessed his healing, complete healing. Um, and so we noticed how all the people reacted. The NIV says they were astonished. If you have the ESV, it says they were amazed. And then they began to put the pieces together and began to recognize Jesus as the son of David, the promised Messiah, right? The crowds are beginning to realize like, whoa, this this guy's not just a teacher. This is the son of David. This is the Messiah. But contrast the reaction of the people with the reaction of the Pharisees. It was the exact opposite. The Pharisees saw this event and reacted in pride and hate. They have already been planning to murder Jesus. And now they double down and accuse him and the work of the Holy Spirit as the work of Satan. They are not only rejecting, but their hearts are attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to the work of Satan. This is blasphemy, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus responds with arguments that make the Pharisees look very foolish, right? A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Satan doesn't drive out Satan. Um, this was a really futile attempt by the Pharisees to to react because they were, you know, kind of getting where you know, the people are uh, realizing that he that Jesus is, a, is the Messiah. Um, and so they're just scrambling to throw whatever darts and arrows they can at Christ. Um, but Jesus handles that with the argument. But then um, what's even more important in verses 31 through 32, Jesus, Jesus gives a terrifying destiny of what happens with this kind of blasphemy. Um, An entire sermon has been preached on this topic, but, but what Jesus says should be a stern warning to all of us, especially those of us who go to church their entire lives and, uh, and deny the work of the Holy Spirit and reject the gospel. Um, if you hear the gospel over and over but never accept, if you see the work of the Holy Spirit in God's people and in the church over and over but never believe, Jesus says that it can never be forgiven. Think about it. If you continually reject God's grace and you reject the Holy Spirit who convicts, then salvation can't happen or will never happen. Um, Let this be a warning to us all that the Holy Spirit, if, if the Holy Spirit is calling you to accept Christ, do not wait another moment. So the good news is that there's hope. Right now, there is hope for all of us. We all have an opportunity, if we haven't yet, to accept Christ. Do you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit to, to accept Christ? Do you know in your heart that you need salvation? Don't let today pass by without, without doing that. Because Jesus gives us some really dire warnings of continually rejecting his mercy and grace in the Holy Spirit. Okay, quickly, uh, our last point. All right, so Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, so through his mercy and grace, we obey God's word. So verses 33 through 37, Jesus um, talks about a tree and its fruit. A good tree cannot bear anything but good fruit, right? Um, It's in its DNA. An apple tree makes apples. A pear tree makes pears. When we accept Christ and grow in love with Him and His Word, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, um, and our fruit begins to change to good fruit. Our words change. Our spiritual DNA begins to change. This doesn't mean that you're perfect, but what it means is when you do sin, the sins are forgiven and you can still produce good fruit through him, through, excuse me, through help from the Holy Spirit. And this is how obedience works. Okay. Jesus says, those who are against me, those are not for me or against me. Right. Um, It seems like Jesus is really stacking up an impossible task here, but the truth is it's not on you. It's not on me. As we, As as we have a relationship with Christ, um, the Holy Spirit transforms our lives. We aren't obedient to be saved. We are obedient because we are saved. Because God gives Sabbath, because he gives comfort, joy, and rest, and removes the guilt of our sin, we recognize that his word is good, and the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to be obedient and be more like Jesus. Jesus even says that our words matter and that men will give an account for every careless word spoken. Um, verse 34, a verse that you know, is, is familiar, that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus tells us here that our hearts want to be filled with something. Our hearts, you know, we're, we're made to worship. Our hearts are always going to be filled with something. And out of that overflow, the mouth speaks. If we are saved and being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, then our, our words would reflect that overflow. Again, it doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it means that if, if, if our hearts are filled with Christ, the overflow and the fruit that comes out of that is good, and it changes. So, do you often use careless words, profane words, hurtful words, disrespectful words, um, do the words you use change around certain people? So when, when, maybe when you come to Late View or around your friends at Late View, you say certain words, but then when you're around other groups of people, you use different words that maybe aren't holy and aren't of, of Christ. Um, if all of your words were written down in a book, what would the book be like? The truth is that we all sin and we've all said things that we aren't proud of, me included, um, and and you know those three questions I asked you; those are all questions that are highly convicting to me too. Especially as I look back on my life and um, before um, before I was following Christ. The truth is, uh, you know, praise God for His mercy and grace to save us from our sin and transform our words. I mean, hallelujah! For without Him, there would be no hope. Um, as we find rest and peace in Him and His mercy, our words will reflect our status. So, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath because He is the fulfillment of God's desire for mercy, not sacrifice. Yet, the sin nature in us rejects that. Yet, His mercy is all the richer to save us and transform us and lead us to spiritual rest, comfort, and holy obedience. Um, I'd like to end this morning uh, by reading a paragraph um, from uh, Gentle and Lowly, which there's some copies about there you can grab if you, if you want to get it. It's so good. Aaron's right. It's, it's really good. Okay, so this is from page 179 to 180. Whether we have been sinned against or have sinned ourselves into misery, the Bible says God is not tight-fisted with mercy, but open-handed, not frugal, but lavish, Not poor, but rich. That God is rich in mercy means that your regions of deepest shame and regret are not hotels that make you, excuse me, are not hotels through which divine mercy passes, but homes in which divine mercy abides. It means that the things about you that make you cringe most make Him hug hardest. It means His mercy is not calculating and cautious like ours. His mercy is unrestrained, flood-like, sweeping, magnanimous. It means our haunting shame is not a problem for Him, but the very thing He loves most to work with. It means our sins do not cause His love to take a hit. Our sins cause His love to surge forward all the more. It means on that day when we stand before him quietly, unhurriedly, we will weep with relief, shocked at how impoverished a view of his mercy-rich heart we had. Let's pray.